coming up in today's Film Disruptors. It's an amazing time. The tools are out there now where whether you want to do a web comic, whether you want to do a game, whether you want to do a video or film online, the tools are getting cheaper, often free uh, and very accessible. So at this point, there really is no excuse not to hone the craft and find your voice and find your medium. Hello, everyone, and welcome to season two, episode 11 of Film Disruptors. My name is Alex Stoltz, and this is the podcast where I share insights and strategies from the leaders who are redefining and reimagining film and storytelling. Today's guest is master storyteller and world builder, Alan Gershenfeld. Alan has the most interesting CV, particularly for the purposes of this show in that he began his career in film, working on numerous productions, including the legendary Canon films. And then subsequently he worked as a film critic. He then moved into gaming, becoming, as he told me, convinced by the storytelling potential of the medium and joined the executive team that rebuilt Activision to the global gaming powerhouse that it subsequently became. Alan is now co-founder and president of Eline, an impact gaming company that builds games to help players understand and shape the world. Eline partnered with organizations from the White House, the Gates Foundation, and Google to create social impact through gaming. And they recently published a title called Never Alone, Developed in partnership with the Cook Inlet Tribal Council, the game was designed to celebrate and share and extend Alaska native culture. It's arguably a fairly niche subject matter. The game has truly broken out into the mainstream, having been downloaded over 4 million times and winning numerous awards, including a BAFTA. So this episode really brings together a lot of the themes I've recently been covering in the show, including storytelling across different media, the synergies between games and film, and the tech, which is really gluing those two areas together, VR, AR, and the practice of world building, as Alan has recently partnered with Alex McDowell's experimental design to bring the art and practice of world building to a wider market. But we also talk about impact here, and Alan shares the extraordinary and unexpected outcome to the success of Never Alone, as well as explain to me how a quote, double bottom line company works, which is what E-Line is, and why this works for them. And it's also one of the fastest growing investment classes. If you are enjoying the show or just want to find out more, there are a couple of ways to stay in touch. Firstly, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Just click subscribe on iTunes to get the latest episodes as soon as they drop onto your device, your desktop, however you like to listen to your podcasts. Also, you can sign up for updates at the home of Film Disruptors. That's www.alexstoltz.com. Just enter your email to receive all the latest Film Disruptors news and episodes straight to your inbox. And this is also where you can access previous episodes, find out more about our featured guests, and get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. So that just leaves me to say thank you for listening, and now I'm going to hand you over to Alan Gershenfield. And I started this show by asking Alan what he feels games can bring in terms of achieving impact that is different from a film or documentary. 
games are are very different in some ways than linear media, whether it's film, television, or even a book or a graphic novel. A game lets you uh, take on an identity, take on a role, step into that role. You have agency to make decisions, to act. It might uh, games are very much about verbs, so the verbs might be thinking verbs. You might be solving problems, exploring, or they could be action verbs, running, jumping, shooting, um, often a blend of thinking and action verbs. Um, but you do step into a role, you go into a, a problem space, there's a challenge, you have a goal that you're invested in, or a series of goals. And individually and collaboratively, often collaboratively, uh, you are figuring out the rules of the world uh, and developing mastery. However, the game designers develop mastery to accomplish the goals. Um, that to me is powerful inquiry and project-based learning. It's very active, um, which is different than linear media, which is passive. I believe both have deep potential for not just great entertainment and, and financial returns, but deep impact, but they're different. Um, one interesting game that we worked on um, that highlights the difference, I think, in a good way, we did a game a few years back with an Alaska Native tribe where they approached us. Um, they wanted to do a mission-aligned investment, so they wanted to do a for-profit investment that celebrated their culture, that shared it with the world, and their culture is often misrepresented in media um, or, or barely represented, um, but also which empowered their youth, and their youth spends a lot of time playing video games. Um, it's a whole long story, but we ended up getting a world-class, building a world-class team. Uh, we got 36 Alaska Native elders, writers, and storytellers all committed to the process. We went on a two-year journey, and we built a game. It's a puzzle platform game based on a story that's been passed down for thousands of years. Uh, about uh, The story was a young boy. We have as a, a young girl finding a source of an endless blizzard. Um, it was interesting just to look at why certain stories were passed down for thousands of years. What is it about a story that helps one generation guide another generation? Um, but as we were doing the game, we did a lot of interviews um, on, on video. And, and the power of seeing the Inupiat people talking about themselves, their culture, and their story was very different in, than, than the affordances we could get in terms of the culture in, in the interactive gameplay, uh, because it was very much a, a puzzle platform genre piece. So we, we, we wanted to get the video in the game. And, and video has a very bad tradition in video games. Video is, inter, is not interactive. Uh, in, the, in the 90s, you had a lot of sort of interruptible uh, cinema that was called games that were neither good games nor, nor good cinema. And yet the power of these videos were so powerful. And we knew if we just put them on a website, people wouldn't necessarily go and, and watch them. So the team was very thoughtful. They, we, we ended up cutting them into uh, 26 short documentaries very provocative, very entertaining, and tied to different aspects of the game. And when you play the game, you just get a subtle indication, um, an owl flies up, that you've unlocked a video. And it turned out to be one of the most popular parts of the game. We've had over, we've had almost three and a half million players. Um, and on Xbox, PlayStation, uh, iOS, Android, we've had millions of gamers essentially watch a documentary about the Inupiat while playing a game where they take on a role. That's a really interesting mix of media that, that highlights, I think, the affordances and weaknesses of each media. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's really, uh, that's, that's fascinating. And I'm, I'm ashamed to say I haven't 
played Never Alone, but I'm really looking forward to doing so with my uh, my daughters. You know, it's great to have a female character uh, in, in it as well. Well, I'll pa- let me pause you on that because it's it, this is this is an interesting. Uh, uh, result of the game that we did not expect. We, we did not expect this. So we designed this as an as a game for independent gamers, and independent gamers are uh, who tend to download their games from a service called Steam. They tend to be fairly hardcore and very game gamer literate. Uh, so we d- we made the game quite hard because in this genre, a puzzle platform game, um, those players are very sophisticated. They have a deep literacy and, and they like challenging puzzles and even challenging um, manual dexterity or, or twitch de- dexterity. We had no idea that this game would touch a nerve globally. I mean, we've got more press on this game than any game I've ever worked on, including the AAA games at Activision. And we, we estimate like a half a billion impressions uh, because we were the app of the day and the game of the day on Apple. Steam featured us. But what's interesting, because you mentioned playing this with your daughters, um, we've had so many young girls want to play the game because it's a strong young girl protagonist and it's an adorable fox that is your sidekick. It's a two-player cooperative game reinforcing the themes of interdependence um, and resiliency and survival. But the game's way too hard. For, for folks that don't have a deep game literacy and often the young girls that want to play the game. And that was really interesting. Had we known that we would get the global exposure that we got and the really interesting um, interest in authentic voices, we might have tuned the game differently in terms of its difficulty. And that's another example of where games are just different than linear media. It's a little bit easier for linear media to cross multiple generations because you don't necessarily need uh, a gaming literacy. You're listening to Film Disruptors and I'm in conversation with Alan Gershenfeld. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on iTunes. And in this section, I ask Alan about the different models that Eline uses for creating impact games. The, the journey of Eline has taken us through a number of models. So we actually started, we did a number of games in the developing world, um, games in refugee camps, games around sustainable farming, civic engagement in the Middle East or during Arab Spring. Um, and each of those were different genres. Often they were systems-based game, like farming is a system and you learn how systems work versus a, a, a pure narrative story-based game. But those weren't necessarily commercial games. In many ways, you could say those were games as aid. Um we then explored schools. We were curious to see if we could make a meaningful impact in schools. We did a product uh, with a nonprofit called Institute of Play, funded by the MacArthur Foundation, um, that teaches kids 8 to 12 to design games, design thinking. And we've gotten into about 10,000 schools. We've had about a million games created by 8 to 12-year-olds. And that's more a creation-centric game. That's more about being a creator, not just a consumer of games. We also partnered with two uh, really amazing teachers who got the rights to do the educational version of Minecraft as a mod or modification of Minecraft. And uh, that was taking off like crazy in schools when Microsoft bought the whole Minecraft franchise. And so uh, we had to sell our, our that product to Microsoft. But that was very interesting. And, and, and it's very, very different than a game as a product, uh, like a story-based game like Never Alone. That's more a game as a service that's about bundling tools with an with an edu- with an entertainment experience to create things. 
Never alone gave us confidence that we could compete in the consumer space. So we are expanding our portfolio of consumer impact games. Interestingly, um, BBC, uh, who's done this wonderful documentary, Blue Planet 2, uh, on the ocean, they were big fans of Never Alone. They really liked the idea that we embedded what we called the cultural insight documentaries. They said that they had all this amazing footage from Blue Planet 2. They would like to do a video game. They don't produce video games internally at BBC anymore. They partner and license. And so they they said, we'd love for you guys to work uh, on a game in partnership with us. Um, we raised the, we, we invested and then we raised some additional funding and we're currently working on a game right now uh, with the BBC around the Blue Planet 2 franchise where we're exploring the near future of the ocean where you as a researcher can explore parts of the ocean that you can't do right now, augmented by some new technologies, um, but really capturing the awe and, and, and just the amazing worlds that exist down there. But instead of watching it passively, you actually take on a role and are an ocean explorer, but we will also unlock ocean insights. So that is a model that we are continuing. Uh, that sounds, I'm looking forward to seeing that one. It's an amazing, amazing documentary show and uh, to experience it. That sounds like one where if you, if you had the opportunity to experience Blue Planet in VR, it may have already done a VR experience, but um, you did mention VR and AR before, and I wonder how much of that is coming into your thinking. Is it diff- is it viable yet to make a game commercially viable to make a game in VR? Say, it's just now becoming commercially viable. Um, there, there's a, a, enough. There's enough of an installed base, um, and it's, they're slightly different. I mean, doing a game for the higher end headsets uh, like Oculus and Vive is very different than doing it for the the mobile headsets that you'll get from from Google or some of the mobile providers. It's it's a different design methodology. It's 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 a different sort of user experience. Um, I would say on both of those markets, it, there's now enough of an installed base that if you right-size your budget, um, it is possible um, for it to be financially viable. Probably not a breakout the way it can be on, on the more traditional gaming um, platforms. Uh, but we, given that it's now um, there is now an installed base, we are actively looking at building extensions for each of our games in VR. Um, we use Unity as, as a core uh, platform, a game engine. Uh, a lot of movies use Unity to do pre-visualization pre- um, and Unreal. Those are kind of the two big game platforms. They're both very, very powerful. Um, and, and when you use those game platforms, technically, it's not that hard to move to, to VR or increasingly AR. Creatively, it's challenging, though, because it is a very, very different um, experience. Um, uh, you just the, the the modes of storytelling are new, and it's very exciting. Cool. And uh, you mentioned AR. Is is that a little more accessible? I, I don't know if it's more accessible. Uh, it's very different than than VR. Um, 
the 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 tools and platforms are definitely out there and and the providers of the tools and platforms are really eager to get um compelling content so i i do think there's a great opportunity it's such a young art form and such a young medium that people are just figuring it out i mean with something like ar i i think some of the early examples that i've seen that are incredibly powerful are actually not entertainment based they're like workforce training where an ar level over a uh, sets of complicated machines can guide people almost with with like game infused instructions that have this augmented layer around complex technology that's actually a sector that's taking off and i think there will be clues um, that will cross over to entertainment and entertainment will cross over to more um, sort of functional or industrial or, or workforce development type products and services um, so uh it's a rich space. We're, we're just dipping our toes. We did do a very interesting VR project um, with the MIT Center for Bits and Atoms, um, which my brother runs, uh, funded by DARPA, um, to explore the future of digital fabrication and how things will be constructed in the future. And we built in VR with uh, a few dozen elemental materials um, based on kind of the metaphor that, you know, uh, a small number of amino acids kind of create all of life by forming and reforming in really interesting ways. We're looking at how a small number of, of smart digital materials can form and reform to create, deconstruct, and recreate almost anything. And in VR, you could use these materials to build robots that almost had a, uh, a human-like feel to them because they had flexural blocks that could bend and shape. And you could literally build these things. They had scale, so you could go under them, around them. You could interact with them. And the experience in VR was so different than the experience on a PC or a game machine with a controller. It was a real wake-up call for us as to just how different and how powerful the, the, the medium is. Hmm. I'd like to... Uh well, there's lots I wanted to ask you about, but uh, I'd, I'd like to, to talk about the world building uh, side of things. And if you could tell me a bit more, please, about your your partnership with experimental design. Yeah. So, um, as I mentioned, I actually I, I was on a panel with Alex at the um, Global Fab Lab convening, a convening of all the these community fabrication laboratories um, at MIT. And we were looking at the, the power of, of digital fabrication and media. So, that, so, so we, we met there and we ended up, when we talked, we, we realized that we, we, we have a lot in common in terms of how we look at our medium as building powerful, evocative worlds and telling stories within those worlds. It's just we came at it through games. He came at it through film. He was using a lot of the tools that we were using, increasingly a lot of the methodologies. Um, you know, a lot of movies now, you can pre-visualize the entire movie using game engines. And the director, the, 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 the various uh, disciplines can all experience, uh, in many ways, the movie as it's being made. 
Um, and that's kind of how we make games. Um, so we found we had a lot in common. We also were really interested in the idea of developing it into a, a design practice and a business. Um, he had a lot of folks that wanted to work with him. We run into a lot of folks that want to use our tools to create and imagine worlds for all sorts of different reasons. So we, we did, we created this joint venture and it's, it's been pretty amazing. We've been working on a lot of different projects. Um, that range from companies like Ford Motor Company to indigenous tribes to trade organizations to municipalities. And while it's not all future facing, you know, given Alex's background on Minority Report um, as sort of a catalyst for world building, for me, I'm fascinated by the idea of um, aspirational but achievable futures that are evocably, evocatively visualized with powerful stories within them to then build the stable steps to realize those futures. So many of our futures um, are informed by media. When we think about the future, it's often dystopian Blade Runner, or it's kind of weirdly utopian where everything's white and people wear turtlenecks for some reason. Um, it's, it's, a, it's sort of a false dichotomy about a future. So the idea that stakeholders, whether it's an indigenous tribe, a company, uh, a city, come together to imagine possible or preferred futures, but not just imagine it, do rigorous research, design and building it. And Alex is such an amazing designer that these evocative worlds start to create new mental and emotional maps. And then when you start to tell stories within the logic of the world, suddenly the stakeholders have a new um, vision that they can start to build against. And I, I actually think it's, it, it, it can change behavior and we've already seen it. And it, it, it can, in fact, change the future. Hmm. It's very powerful, that idea of consciously creating our future and using storytelling, design and gameplay to achieve that. Yeah, ab absolutely. Um, and I, I, it's still a young practice, but I think it's a practice that will grow, especially as we start to see um, the impact in the real world, uh, which I think we're already, you know, we're already starting to see. Um, and, and what, what we found is even the process of researching and imagining possible futures, which involves a lot of research, you have to look at, at very different, um, technologies and their rate of acceleration. You have to look at environmental changes, cultural, demographic, society changes at various different scales and levels. Um, and then you have to start to construct the logic of the world. Um, and you have to start ask, you know, we often ask what if, why not questions. And for, for kids, especially kids in underserved communities who often are looking right in front of them, just opening the lens to possible and preferred futures is very dramatic in and of itself. Um, the, we, we're working on two indigenous futurism projects. Actually, this is just a quick side note from Never Alone. The Cook Inlet Tribal Council that was our partner and funder of that project, they've taken the profits from their game. They've invested in our company. They're our largest shareholder. Our chairman is head of the tribal council. So our primary majority investor is an indigenous tribe. The Cook Inlet Tribal Council, our CFO, is from the tribe. So we've actually merged our organizations and we're now working with other indigenous tribes. And as part of our partnership with the Cook Inlet Tribal Council, we actually recently did a world build around the future of um, Alaska Native culture. 
And indigenous futurism has a really interesting history. Uh, a writer uh, named Grace Dillon has written a book called, you know, Walking the Clouds, which is a really interesting approach to indigenous science fiction with all of the uh, sort of um, interest in Wakanda and Black Panther, there are other very interesting visions of the future out there from very different perspectives. So we're really excited about the idea of working with some of these tribes to, to imagine futures uh, with them from their perspective. And we're looking at that as a possible a framework for a sequel to the game, maybe even a movie. But in some ways, more importantly, um, having the tribe, especially the youth, the stewards of their future, imagine and realize amazing, uh, amazing new futures um, through this process. Wow, that's a, an amazing outcome of uh, Never Alone. Um, tell me about the double bottom line in your, in your business. And, uh, I think that's a, a fascinating concept. Yeah, it's, it's actually one of the fastest growing investment classes is, is impact investing. And that's at an angel venture capital, private equity, sovereign fund le level. Um, there's been so much wealth created, um, that more and more organizations are, in their investment strategy, trying to al align a portion of their investment strategy to their impact strategy. So for example, foundations are looking at taking parts of their endowment and, and instead of just investing for, for preservation or, or growth of capital, uh, they believe that they can still get preservation and growth of capital, but through investments that are aligned with their philanthropic purpose, because there's more and more companies like us starting to pop up that are generating financial returns, but with a social impact vibe. In some cases, um, we believe over time you'll get a better financial return. Um, there's a, the, although most of the impact investing has not been in, in, in the arts and media, um, there is a growing interest in that. There's a woman named Laura Callanan who has uh, an organization called Upstart Capital that is specifically looking at the power of investment in the arts. And that's everything from arts districts in cities to specifically investing in films or games or, or other media to amazing art collectives like Meow Wolf in, San, in Santa Fe. Um, and they're showing how there, there is not only a great cultural impact, but there's an opportunity for financial return. If you choose to be a double bottom line company or triple bottom line or blended value, people use different words. Uh, you have to be committed to articulating the type of impact you want. The stakeholders, the employees, the investors, the partners have to buy into that type of impact and, or ideally be passionate about it. Most are. And you have to have the rigor of any company in terms of the financial returns. So you are balancing both. Our, our belief is you know, rather than make money and then give money away, which is not a bad thing, we try to look for the organic alignment of the impact in the business model. So just executing our business is furthering the impact, but you have to spend a lot of time architecting that up front. Adam, what would be your advice for an emerging storyteller? The tools exist now. Uh, I mean, certainly you can sit down and just write pen and paper a story. You can gather your friends and, and verbally tell a story that we did that successfully for thousands of years. Um, but if you want to move into um, kind of digitally mediated stories, it's an amazing time. The tools are out there now where whether you want to do a web comic, whether you want to do a game, whether you want to do a video or film online, the tools are getting cheaper, often free. 
uh, and very accessible. So at this point, there really is no excuse not to hone the craft and find your voice and find your medium. Um, because it's 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 now very, very possible to, to not only tell your stories, but to be able to share them, at least with friends or with a global audience, depending on, you know, whether your stories touch a nerve or not and how much you want to lean in and try to connect your stories with with more people who can hear them or experience them. Uh, it's very rare that we would hire anybody um, at our game company who hasn't already made a bunch of games because um, it's now so accessible and so possible. So that was Alan Gershenfeld in conversation. If you want to find out more about any of the guests on this show, listen to other episodes or get in touch, you can do all of this at alexstoltz.com. And if you are enjoying Film Disruptors, please subscribe on iTunes. And if you could leave a review too, that would be very much appreciated. So that's it for this episode. Just like to say thank you again for listening and look forward to seeing you again soon. As anyone listening to this show for a while will know, the business of storytelling is something I'm personally very passionate about. And when I'm not interviewing film disruptors, I love applying this passion and using my expertise to help independent storytellers and filmmakers accomplish their goals and get stories made and seen. I do this by working with storytellers intensively or over a longer period to develop the project and strategy for maximum finance, distribution and commercial impact. If you are a filmmaker or storyteller and would like to find out more about how I can help your project, I'd love to hear from you. Please go to alexstoltz.com or just drop me an email at alex at alexstoltz.com. Mm-hmm.